This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to Upstream and Perspective. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Nelson. I'm here with Hill Vaden today. Hill, uh, we have a unique topic to discuss today, uh, electric yeah. fracking. A shocking topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite the joke for electric fracking. Um, <laughs> It's been in the news a fair amount over the last few months. Um, as many of our listeners may have heard, Baker Hughes debuted the new technology. In fact, let me read part of the reporting from the Houston Chronicle from a few months ago. Uh, Baker Hughes is introducing a revolutionary fleet of electric frack turbines that will use excess natural gas from a drilling site to power hydraulic fracturing equipment, reducing flaring, carbon dioxide emissions, people and equipment in remote locations. Uh, with that, our guest today will join us to give us an objective look at the potential of electric fracking. Uh, I want to welcome Jesus Ozuna to the podcast. Hi. Jesus is an analyst with our cost and technologies teams, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. So let's start at the beginning. Um, I, I gave kind of a little preview there, but for a lot of our listeners who may not be familiar with electric fracturing, can you first define it for our listeners and then give us a little bit of the history behind electric fracturing? So uh, thank you for having me. So electric fracturing, just in a, in a general summary, is the use of when people hear it, they automatically think that it's maybe something where it's being powered by like solar. I mean, it's, it, it has the word electric, but it's essentially the power is coming from natural gas. But all the equipment that's being used to do the actual hydraulic fracturing process is electric. So there is no there is no, there are no engines from the traditional sense, like a diesel engine on site, and everything is being powered by electricity. So that's so even though it's not solar, it would, would one consider it a quote unquote greener frack than your typical diesel frack? One hundred percent, because obviously the emissions that come from using natural gas versus burning diesel, and then second, because so much the the whole the whole. Uh, spread of the fleet is electric and so therefore it it has it, it has that advantage where it, it is an evolution it is an evolution when it comes to green technology and how big uh, how big are these fleet i mean it's just, just a, a it's like as large as your standard fleet so when it comes to the capacity the ability to do the work but footprint we're looking at in some cases when it comes to just the reduction of the pumpers it's like a 40 percent reduction on actual footprint of on the pad. So there is there is a significant reduction because these pumpers with these massive diesel engines just take up so much space and there's so much extra wiring and is that some of the advantage of it is being in urban or you know more more dense population areas is that where electric frack is most conducive? Well electric fracking is most conducive for, for areas where there are potentially stricter regulations when it comes to sound pollution, uh, stricter regulations when it comes to emissions, which then would in turn answer it be potentially a better option in a more urban environment. But you could still use it out in a regular fracking uh, site out in the middle of nowhere simply because of some of the cost reductions that are there when it comes to 
fuel fuel costs. So there's a variety of different factors to consider when looking at e-fracking. So if there's cost reductions, noise reductions, emissions reductions, emissions reductions, footprint reductions, what are the disadvantages? The disadvantages. This is all, this no, is all this is, good news. It is a lot of good. It, I mean, to stay objective, the the downfall is the the entry to use of the technology, the cost to enter. It's on average to go in and and have a equivalent to a forty five thousand, let's say forty five thousand hydraulic horsepower fleet costs you around $60 million. So it's a significant uh, increased cost versus other technologies which you can use natural gas like dual fuel or dynamic gas blending where it costs only three, $3 million to do a conversion. Into 60 versus three? 60 versus three. Wow. It's quite dramatic. But <clears throat> you're not getting the same type of uh, fuel cost savings. You're also still using diesel. You're still going to have to be bringing in diesel, a lot of hot fueling, a lot of risk when you when using diesel. The <clears throat> you you can't promote it as 100% like a dramatic shift forward when it comes to technology. And the other aspect of it too is that the electrification also has its advantages with maintenance costs, like an electric engine powering everything, an electric generator powering everything is easier to maintain and service than these traditional combustion engines. $57 million easier? Uh, well, it depends. There's a lot of analytics that has to go in there for costing. And, it, and it's, again, dependent on who it is, right? Like the perspective. For an operator, it's, it's quite appealing because when we've done our own internal cost analysis, of just fuel cost save or fuel cost reductions, it's quite significant. We're talking about ninety percent cost reduction wow. in fuel. So at two dollar MCF? At, at no, at, at we I priced it into our model at two twenty five. Okay, two twenty five uh, versus current diesel prices. Versus versus current diesel prices, we had it at two fifty in our analysis. So two fifty for diesel, two twenty five for natural gas, ninety percent. Wow. Fuel cost reduction. And so from an operator's perspective, that's a huge red flag considering that a positive red flag. The, a, a positive red flag. Yes. Sorry about that. Yeah. A, a positive red flag um, considering it's such a substantial cost. Um, additionally, so for an operator, it's beneficial for a supplier. It's a completely different perspective. It would make, from our view, it, it, it would be more it would be advantageous to look into the benefits of if they want to transition to something cleaner to doing a dual fuel option when it comes to their current fleet their conventional fleet because it's just it's a huge upfront cost yeah. in order to convert over and is baker i think jessica mentioned baker at the start of the podcast so are they the ones who are leading this and is anybody else doing it with them or is this and is this only the domain of somebody as big as baker or some of these small pressure pumpers get into the space? So ironically enough, we are looking at a situation. We did an analysis to see our top 20 service providers and their quarterly earnings and their press releases. Was there anything of a mention when it comes to EFRAC technology? Out of the top 20, there are actually three that are actively involved with the technology. One that's fully 
at 100% of their fleet is EFRAC, and that's Evolution Well Services. The second is U.S. Well Services, and they have, I believe, a a of their a percentage of their total at around 30 something percent. Um, I would have to, I could double check right now just to just to verify. And then there's uh, Pro Petrol, who's looking to within the past couple of quarters have launched their EFRAC uh, fleet, and it's going online from now into the early quarters of of 2020. And so those are the service providers that are that are actively using the technology. Baker Hughes is there to provide the gas turbine, which powers the whole entire fleet. So we're looking at the gas turbine, which generates the electricity and the power that then feeds the electric frack pumps, which then feeds also the electric blenders, the electric uh, feed systems. So the whole fleet is electric, the whole spread is electric, but it's being powered by that gas turbine. And so for GE Baker Hughes, that's a great opportunity. So they can they can bring in this gas turbine technology and, and potentially on, on sites use the the field gas. Yeah. If if that if, if appropriate. And so what is it with those three names? I mean if you're looking at the total kind of onshore North America right now, what is is uh what you so you got your conventional diesel frack, your dual and then electric, mm -hmm. you know, how, how does that shake out in market share? So with market share for like the total U.S. frac supply, it's only about 3%. It's about 2.6%. Um, we are seeing, excuse me, currently out on the field, there's about 10 fleets. And our fleet size is anywhere from 36,000 hydraulic horsepower all the way up to 40, 45,000. Just in, and just to give an, an idea because um, it varies depending on company, how they define it. The future fleet count of what's publicly available that they're looking to turn online is, is it's going to increase it to 14. So four are looking to come in into in the next following quarters. We're also seeing that even though it's quite small when it comes to relative to the supply, <clears throat> to the capacity, there has been a jump over the past couple of quarters and in terms of investment and the the amount of horsepower that's 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 being turned online so with us well services and pro petro versus <clears throat> there has been a 7% increase when when it comes to their percent of their total fleet size that's now being allocated to efrac so they're 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 taking it very seriously and from from Q3 uh, 2019 to Q4 2020, in that time frame of like a year, year and a half, we're looking at a 32% growth from these three companies in investment into, into EFRAG. That means um, from where they were at before, uh, like how much they were investing into it to now what's actually um, with, with their fleets that they're active, that they're, that they're turning on that's associated with EFRAG. So we're, we're seeing a 32% increase. And are they able to pass on, I mean, if I'm an operator, am I putting the climate questions on hold for a second? Am I indifferent to EFRAC versus a diesel frac, or is it going to cost me extra to employ pure petrol? So we're, we're in the process of doing a deeper analysis of DGB to see the cost uh, reduction 
the emissions reductions, whatever, whatever the data tells us with that technology. And then in the future, we're going to look at doing a more, a, a deeper analysis between comparing DGB dual fuel versus EFRAC. So I can't specifically answer that right now. What I can tell you is, plus there's not a lot of public data. There's not public data to know what are the stipulations with the agreements, whether the those operators and those suppliers are sharing the costs. Okay. That could be something where, where the operator is saying, hey, if 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 we if you deploy this technology moving forward, we'll cover 20, 30, 40 percent of that cost. You cover the other portion, but we're gonna if it works, there's all these other contracts in the future. We yeah. don't know, we don't know the the intricacies of that of that relationship. But over the past couple of quarters, there's been more and more press releases of major operators like XTO Energy, Diamondback Energy, which is XTO being a subsidiary of ExxonMobil, Shell, and CNX, looking to do that are doing uh, that have completed agreements with these companies for yeah. 20, 30 months, uh, 12 months. So there's interest. So that's kind of where, from an operator's perspective, maybe. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, using you know, on-site gas from the field to power them. I mean, is that so? Is this mostly being used in oil plays where the gas is, you know, and even in some cases it is in the Permian? Or are you seeing it outside of you know where where gas is more dependent on the economics of the world? From from these suppliers, these specialized suppliers in this technology, what we've heard is that they deployed. The fleets in the Permian, and they've deployed the fleets up in Marcellus and in, in the major gas plays. The there are some considerations and risk with the technology, and that's with regards to ambient temperature and the altitude of where the turbines oh, yeah. are at, because it affects the power output, the efficiency. So, additionally, the BTU content of the field gas, the BTU content of the field gas might not be of the best quality mm -hmm. or also the water content of the field gas and these the sulfur content so that might add extra processing costs where there is the potential that companies might that operators might have to bring in um, cng to supplement cng and lng lng to supplement the 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 operation but with the the considerable difference in cost between diesel and and fuel in terms of consumption and efficiency, it's it's they're doing it from what from what so from what we've heard. Hurdle, it's not a hard to come over overcome hurdle. I think it's too early. I think it's too early to to come up with a definitive answer on that. Mm -hmm. From what we've heard from these suppliers, they are mitigating it and they're able to they're able to find a solution for the operators. So you mentioned elevation and. Jessica, you might be seeing some of this in Colorado, but there's you know been a lot of discussion, particularly around you know, Wattenberg and the DJ Basin with prox drilling proximity to residences and um, some of the legislation there. Does the elevation associated with Colorado is is this an option? Can can you use this in the Colorado area? From what from we've researched and, and heard they have been able to deal with the different elevations uh, changes and how that affects the output of the of the turbine that they have but this is something again that because the technology is so new there's many there's a lot of details that we still have to 
wait and see and get some more information to give a more definitive picture on. The one benefit specifically in that area that that is provided potentially by the technologies with re, with regards to sound pollution. It's it, it it's it's there's a reduction. Yeah. And especially in the low frequency noises, there's a there's a reduction in that, and that's what usually many of the complaints are usually from that of like the lower vibration frequencies that shake homes, and so that gets reduced with the EFRAC technology. Okay. Yeah. And the actual completion that the, these. EFRACs are, from a well construction standpoint, that they are just as good as your, your standard diesel or better. Yeah, they're 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 just as good because they're essentially they're sa they're still pumpers. The 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 one benefit is that now they're able to stack multiple pumpers on the same type of bed that you would before have a three thousand horsepower. Um, diesel pumper on the back, a diesel engine with the pumper on, on, on a regular truck. Now you can do two. So some of them are stacking them and now they're having, they're able to increase their capacity with a smaller footprint. So there is benefit with that where they're doing six 6,000 horsepower, uh, hydraulic horsepower on one truck. Yeah. So because it's smaller, more it's condensed, the technology, electricity, electrification, less moving parts, you can fit more things on, on a smaller footprint. So where do you, I mean, it, with the obvious benefits around climate uh, and emissions, do you see this operators helping to, to ramp this up or is it going to be more regulations that help to, to, to ramp up or is it, I mean, $60 million versus $3 million, so that's a big you know, difference in investment from the uh, service gun vendor side, right? So, so is that hurdle going to be overcome by operators or regulation or the service companies themselves? I don't think it will come from considering how low you are, considering that utilization is hovering around 50 to 60 percent. A lot of the power is in the operator's hands mm -hmm. right now. And that utilization being total pressure pumping. The total, the, the, capa the, the demand over the, the, in comparison to the supply that's, mm -hmm. that's available. So there's a lot of oversupply right now. And so I don't see financially, we don't see the reasoning or the motivation for a supply for a, a service provider to just to, to consider investing in this. Um, for operators, though, it is different. And this might present an opportunity for them to get ahead of the regulations, where if NOx emissions standards get dropped again, they're already there. And so they don't have to then be scrambling to find what's what's the new, if what new technology is available with diesel to meet those standards, they're already ahead of the game. So I could see that potentially being driven by the operators. I don't know to what extent, but it, it, it gives them that possibility. It gives them that possibility to be ahead of the curve. Is that, I mean, so I was looking at, you know, earnings calls from Halbert Schlumberger uh, several weeks ago. And most of their focus was in terms of 2020 seemed to be the opportunities outside of onshore North America. And, and I think one of them was you know, most of their capex for 2020 was going to um, you know, non-North American activities. So, so with the oversupply, you know, issues that you flag, is North America onshore, you know, is 
is is a, is a near-term opportunity outside of North America, or is this so biased, uh, unconventional in North America that that there's really no other place to, to really test it? For the technology, they within the timeline they started or they started some testing in Canada. Evolution Well Services was starting to doing some testing in Canada, but for right now we haven't heard anything of international testing of the technology and the focus seems to be here within the United States, specifically the Perme the Permian, um, where they're looking to launch these, uh, ProPetro is looking to launch these EFRAC units. There hasn't been any signal of this expanding anywhere else international. And when it comes to these larger pl players, their commentary has been when, with regards to EFRAC as something that's maybe in the future, We've kind of looked at it, but really where we should be focusing more of our attention is with dual dual fuel. Dual fuel. Yes. And you, besides ProPetro, who's a pretty large player, has a, a capacity above 1 million hydraulic horsepower, U.S. Well Services and Evolution are more mid-tier and lower. And that's what's interesting about this is that it almost seems that they're well, there is a possibility that there is some form of strategic move by operators to develop these agreements with these smaller uh, uh, fracking providers in this technology, because if regulations were to come in in the future that were tighter and stringent, they already have connections with someone who's 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 an expert in the technology. But additionally, someone that isn't that doesn't have as much leveraging power as let's say the larger suppliers so for these smaller players like us well services and evolution well services any business that they're getting with these operators is great mm -hmm. and for them they just see growth 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 with with more of these agreements and so it's it's a good opportunity it seems to be a, a an, an interesting strategy and is, so you mentioned dual fuel and the capacity concerns of bringing on electric capacity. I would assume there are similar concerns about bringing on dual fuel or even diesel. And the, is there a general reluctance to bring on any capacity in this type of market? Well, it's it's not necessarily with dual fuel. They wouldn't necessarily be bringing on any extra capacity because they could convert their okay. current their current fleet to, to dual fuel. That is the one benefit for especially for the larger players who have so much extra so, so capacity where they can say well we have stuff that's sitting right now we can maybe get ahead of the game and project long term and say we can reduce our fuel cost by putting up this this capex in, investment and converting these x amount of fleets into dual fuel so in the future we're burning natural gas and our cost goes down um so it, it's a conversion. They don't have to go in and buy new DGB fleets. Mm -hmm. They could convert them, so that makes it even more attractive. But that's something we're going to look for. We're going to look at analyzing and researching more in the future to have more solid numbers when it comes to, like I said, reduction in cost, reduction in fuel emissions, the 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 benefit, sure, the cost benefit analysis between that versus EFRAC. And again, I think it really is dependent on the size of the of the supplier. <clears throat> how big they are as a player. And is that, are, are there any names within the dual fuel space? You mentioned those three in EFRAC. Yes, I can, I can tell you right now. So we have 
commentary from both FTS, Keen, and additionally Liberty talking about their interests in in expanding into exploring and expanding into DGB. Um, those are the three that from research we, we found have uh, commented on it and some of them are actually doing some some conversions over into DGB to dual flu. Okay. And you touched a little bit on the climate um, and carbon goals. I know Hill mentioned it. Um, are there any other factors that might potentially speed up the adoption of either dual fuel or the e-fracking? There could be in, uh, regulatory pressures coming in the future. We see with the International Maritime Organization that they've made, they have a requirement starting January 2020 that all uh, maritime uh, ships or all, all, all ships have to convert over to cleaner burning fuel, yeah, which includes fuel. yes, yeah. which includes obviously diesel. So that's why, from our perspective, we don't see the diesel price dropping anytime soon. At least maintaining itself, uh, projecting forward, and we've we've seen that from the analysis that we have from our internal groups with pricing, that diesel is, is expected to stay at least a potential increase. Um, but in general, not a decrease in price. And then with natural gas, a with natural gas and actually like staying within the price range that it's at to maybe potentially lower. So with that being said, we're seeing from different bodies that there's more focus on environmental impact. And so the technology exceeds tier four regulations. Tier four being? At the emission standards okay. for... Uh, non um for for engines that are not on the road that are just okay. like stationary engines um specifically diesel engines so they exceed those emission standards by over 50 percent in some cases nox decreases by over 90 percent the, the reduction so if that that technology gives that huge wiggle room to be ahead of it and we and, and there could be that 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 pressure from regulatory uh, bodies to say, hey, we it needs to be cleaner. And so it's an opportunity for sure. I, we would see that the, the government could potentially enact certain regulations that are stricter. The, the communities might demand it more to say like, you know, you're burning diesel <laughs> right beside me. We need something cleaner. Um, and so it would be more of an outward pressure. Do you think that you know, on some of the uh, call it anti-frac groups, is a clean frac better than conventional frac in the eyes of one who is you know most of the fracking conversation you know from, from those against you know who are actively campaigning against it are more on water contamination than noise contamination? Yeah, that's it. You actually answered my question. That's what I was going to say. Is that it, it, those the those concerns and protests are more when it comes to the, the water contamination issue when it comes to fracturing and, ex, and its effect seismologically within yeah. an area. So I don't know if they're going to necessarily be like, Ooh, you're, you're bringing on electric fracking, but it does provide for operators that ability, it, a branding opportunity where at the end of the day, you can objectively claim that you are now reducing your carbon emissions. You're sure. reducing your NOx emissions your your impact on the environment is reduced 
because that's objective. That that is that's an objective fact. Like this, this isn't speculation. So the even then, even if maybe they can't sway fully the the anti-fracking community, they branding and image-wise do show that they're at least ma making an effort to address some of the issues that are that come arise that that arise from, yeah. from fracking. Right, cleaner, not safer necessarily. Right. Correct. Cleaner, 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 not safer. At this but point. I, I, caveat, not safer when it comes to the actual fracking, but safer for the crews that are there because you don't have, you re, re, remove the risk of hot feeling. You remove the risk of, um, there's, there's less equipment, smaller footprint. You need less operational crews. You don't need anybody to fuel the, the, the diesel tanks while they're running. Like mm -hmm. there's a, a variety of operational issues that are, are that arise currently with with the traditional com, com, traditional diesel fleet that with an electric fleet get diminished or reduced okay. yeah so there is some operational safety that gets improved well this is still a significant step forward in terms of technology for for fracking though right um compared to where we've been in the last few years we haven't seen a lot of major technology shifts until now yes uh for sure especially transitioning over to natural gas as a fuel source is a move in in a more environmentally uh, conscious arena where it, it's it's definitely a part of the conversation and with electric fracking it's it's that that full leap so yeah it's it's definitely a move in in that direction um I, we try to stay away from saying positive or negative, sure. but from terms of, again, emissions, uh, operational maintenance, it's definitely more efficient, definitely more efficient and more, and more environmentally friendly. Yeah. So let's take a look a little more into the future. You mentioned, you know, an increase over the next maybe year or so. Uh, where else is the market headed? What are you guys going to be watching over the next uh, 12 to 18 months in this space? Our focus is going to be on not only isolated to, like I said, EFRAC, we want to explore DGB because DGB seems to be, could potentially be a great alternative for the larger players. And so we want to, we want to see how that influences because that could, that could create a, create a tug and pull between EFRAC and DGB. In, in terms of like competition of, of getting those fleets out there. Uh, we want to see how EFRAC continues to grow, especially with these cemented players, which are U.S. well services and Evolution well services, and now ProPetro that's getting into the game, but they have experience, experience testing the, the technology. Because one thing that's important to note is that some of these companies have been using this technology and refining it and making it better for a period of over five years. And so it's not something that they're just like, oh, we're going to do EFRAC. Like, no, there's been multiple iterations of the technology. There are patents on their technology. So trademarks on how they deploy it, on, on how they market and, de and deploy their, their, their fleet. So it, it will be interesting to see whether operators will continue adding agreements and expanding their fleet. That's that's what we're we're focusing on right now. The DGB, how DGB will come into play, and then how will these expert players continue to grow in the space if they do? And is the major inhibitor? It sounds like that just we're dealing with an oversupply 
pressure problem in the market. Yes, and major inhibitor would be the oversupply. Another major inhibitor would be the the entry cost for yeah. the technology. Another major inhibitor would be also the risk that arise when with saying, yeah, we want to consume field gas for for these gas turbines, but is that necessarily true specific to this to this location? Like, is the gas actually up to par? Mm -hmm. Those all those operational and technical considerations have to be considered as well, and that's dependent on 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 the area. So that's also a potential um, detractor, and and those are in general the, the the main ones. But again, this is something that seems to be more beneficial to an operator than necessarily a supplier. Plus, like I said, if some if these companies have already spent five to eight years developing this technology, imagine if you're coming in brand new to say like, oh, I want to launch EFRAC. Well, <laughs> now you got competition and you have a learning curve that's yeah. that's there um, when it comes to all of those other operational issues that we were talking. Yeah. So, Great. Well, um, Jesus, thanks for sharing your knowledge with our listeners today. Very interesting topic, and we'll <laughs> be excited to keep hearing what you guys have coming in the next uh, few months of research. Um, so before we close out, though, there is one fun question we do like to ask all of our podcast guests. So um, if you will humor us, tell us if you could sit down with the beer, soda, lemonade with any one person, whether that's a historical figure or a current person, who would you pick? Other than the two of us, <laughs> other than the two of you, I have to, I have to, <laughs> I have to, I have to caveat and say, okay, let's see, my professional response, <laughs> my professional response. No, I, you know, it's it's who I am. It's a part of my identity as a person. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, it would be someone like Karl Marx. I would love yeah. to sit down with Karl Marx and get and get a better insight on how his theories when it comes to economic systems and the cap capitalism yeah what 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 was what was the deep like philosophical or emotional aspect to it not the logical observation but more of like what what tugged him to develop so much literature and writings and, and knowledge toward that towards that topic so yeah That's very interesting good. answer <laughs> Pay for the beer and the coffee. Hopefully. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, at least share the coffee. Share, share, share. <laughs> we would share it. Socialize. We socialize. Yeah, that's great. Cool. All right. Well, um, thank you uh, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for another great podcast. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com slash energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.